Major General J.P. McGee is the new commanding general of the 101st Airborne Division, Air Assault, and Fort Campbell. He joins Charlie and Katie to share his story from a second lieutenant during the Gulf War to taking what many call the best job in the Army. He also shares some news about a historic appointment coming soon to Fort Campbell and the many events planned this summer. All this and more on this episode of Clarksville's Conversation. Charlie, this is my first time meeting General McGee, and I am enjoying the conversation off mic, so I know this is going to be a good conversation today. It, it is going to be exciting, Katie, and, and the cool part is there's just when you think you know a little bit about Fort Campbell, you're about to learn even more. <laughs> so, I mean, it's always important. You know, our community, you know, Fort Campbell is one of the economic engines for sure. Oh, not uh, what's just going Clarkson, but the here. whole state of Tennessee. So we're fortunate to have you, and we'd, lo- we'd like to welcome you, sir. Thanks for being yeah, here. People tell me that, like, Fort Campbell is the number two employer in the state of Tennessee. Yeah. I think yeah. Uh, it's pretty amazing. That is amazing. You're economic driver. I don't know. It, it has to be a large employer in Kentucky, too, you'd think. So, I mean, it depends. You're sort of double counting, but I think if you contrast our population with mm-hmm. Kentucky, we'd be the number one employer in the state of Kentucky. Probably. I would, yeah, I can I mean, see it's that. Big, it's a big post, 30,000 soldiers there, all the associated family members. I mean, yeah. Big, uh, it's a big installation. You know, it just gets me uh, every time, because, you know, I deal with a lot of advertising and businesses outside of the state, how I have to explain to them that, no, Fort Campbell is in Clarksville. It is in Tennessee. They, they just it, assume it's in Kentucky somewhere because of the name. Yep. I, I have a lot. Of, I mean, a lot of a lot of friends of mine. They're like, okay, so it's in you know, it's Fort Campbell, Kentucky. But you explain it's really close to Nashville, which is the next city that uh, that everyone knows, and they're surprised to hear. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what's really interesting coming back here on my third tour is, is I mean, Clarksville is becoming like a suburb of Nashville. Which Isn't that amazing? Which was not the case 15 years ago. That's exactly. Was it 15 right. years ago when you were here before? It was. You know, so I was in the army for 16 years before I came here. So I came here as a battalion commander. So that's about 750, 800 soldiers. And that was my first tour. I started in 2006 and went until 2009. Mm-hmm. And in that, it was a 15-month deployment to uh, to Iraq. Then I came back here again uh, in uh, command of the 1st Brigade of the of the 101st. That was 2011, 2013. That included a nine-month tour in uh, in Afghanistan. And so before I came in, in this recent job, I sat down and tried to figure out the time. And, and close to 50% of my time in this division has actually been spent overseas in either Iraq or Afghanistan. Oh, wow. So while I'm coming back here to, uh, to this area, it's uh, it, it's great to reacquaint myself. But you know, some of these areas, like I was just driving out here, I was like, I've never been down this street. Yeah. Part of it's because I haven't spent a whole lot of time here. Yeah. I mean, and everything has changed. Not, I mean, I imagine 15 years, but just over the last year or two, our, the landscape of our community has changed drastically. Absolutely. I mean, I think one of the things I've also seen, you know, a lot more coming back is just how close the community and the uh, and the, the installation has become. Yes, sir. I mean, there are a whole lot of efforts that weren't present when I was when I was here as a battalion commander, whether it's spousal employment or just the, the uh, Campbell Crossing yep. and those sort of mm-hmm. you know, uh, items that are actually linking us closer together. It's great. You know, when when soldiers come and go out of Fort Campbell, if, if they ever come back, you know, in, in a rotation of some type, we hear a lot of how much they have missed Clarksville, how much they want to retire here. Their family loves it here. And I think that there's two reasons for that. One, you're so important to our community, and we realize that, and our community embraces you. But in turn, you guys 
embrace the community. We're not we're not really considering each other outsiders. It's we're invited to events and ways to support each other. So it's a it's a great partnership. Yeah, I, I agree, Charlie. So I, you know, as I said, I was 16 years in the army before I came here, and I left here in 2009. And when I left, I was like, this is this is the best assignment I've ever had yeah. for me. And uh, you know, I think what all of our responsibilities, if we're leaders at Fort Campbell, is how do we create that environment so our soldiers, you know, when they leave, they're like, this is the best assignment mm-hmm. I've ever had. And part of that is just the strong, you know, the surrounding community, how much people uh, support uh, support our, our soldiers here. You know, here in Clarksville, Hopkinsville, and then down in Nashville as well. Yeah. I mean, it's just, yeah. it is really, really impressive. And so I think that's our challenge. How do we continue to make those bonds stronger and mm-hmm. make sure that all the soldiers flowing through here feel that this is their best assignment? I think we own that. See, he was reading my mind, Katie, because there's a question I have asked him before and asked other commanding generals is, what's it like to have the best job in the Army? Yeah. And he just he just answered that. So well, I then, guess then we can move on. Then you're done. You don't I'm have to done. say anymore. But I did want to go. I was not reading your mind because yeah. if you read your mind, it would have been a blank slate. But that's right. Hey, <laughs> Chi-chi. He got right. you. Boom. Check. I, wait, uh, edit. I do want to. No, don't edit that out. I do want to go way back for just a minute okay. because I know you grew up in California and yeah. you went to West Point. I did. Why don't you go back and tell the people listening to this why the Army? Why did you decide that path? Yeah. So I uh, I grew up in California. Uh, my mom and dad are from uh, the Cleveland, Ohio area. My dad went to West Point and he graduated from West Point at a time where there was no Air Force Academy. So he went in the Air Force. Okay. He was there for nine years. And then uh, worked uh, at IBM in New York and then moved to uh, to California. And my family moved there in the early 60s. And so when I was born, I was a fourth of five. Uh, I am fourth of five uh, of five children. Uh, I'm sure it had a lot to do with the influence that my dad had in yeah. sort of his, uh, his example. But the fact of the matter is, if you asked any of my family members, like, you know, what was JP going to do when he grew up? They'd say he would have joined the Army. And, and that's mm-hmm. just something I've always been interested in. So I feel my, you know, tremendously fortunate that something I want to do as a child, I've been able to do as an adult. I really enjoyed it. And then I've been allowed to continue to serve. And, uh, you know, there's not a day that goes by that I don't consider myself tremendously fortunate and lucky to be uh, to be here as uh, as the commanding general of, uh, of uh, the 101st Airborne Division, yep. Eagle Six, as well as the post commander. Yeah. But getting into West Point's not easy. Yeah, so getting into West Point isn't easy. Staying in West Point is uh, is difficult as well. And uh, you know, there's uh, but it's a tremendous place where they teach you leadership, they teach you values, and uh, and it's a great uh, it's just a great school, and they they produce great officers, and we get all sorts of great officers from all sorts of sources. But uh, I, uh, I remain tremendously proud of uh, of being a graduate of, uh, of West Point. I didn't know a whole lot about it until we were interviewing Mark Green that time and talking about, you know, the different states and stuff. So Mm -hmm. I just found that interesting. So when when you become a general, you go through capstone uh, I, I consider it a training class, but sure. you can. There's a class that, that teaches you how to be a general. There are a whole bunch of classes. Really? Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. And and one of our good friends, uh, General Luck, mm-hmm. was one of the guys that uh, we love. A him. lot of a lot of our generals have have been trained by, for lack of better terms. But is there? Do you have a mentor or somebody in the army or that was in the army that you kind of lean on for advice or guidance? So. Uh, so I'll talk about, you know, how we sort of focus as a military on leader development and okay. leader education. And then I'll, I'll hit the question about uh, okay. about mentor. Um, 
you know, the Army in particular, I think, invests a tremendous amount of energy in developing its leaders. And they do this throughout all the ranks. And I think, you know, we see this happening within the 101st and, uh, and we see it broadly. But I think most civilians would be surprised at the amount of energy and time that we invest in training our leaders to assume the next levels. And so we, you know, pull them out of positions of responsibility and send them to school, sometimes for a year, in order just them to work on their skills development for the next year. I think that's really unique. And most, you know, businesses that I know just can't afford to be able to do that. And then it doesn't stop when you become higher ranking. Matter of fact, in some ways it becomes more intense. And so one of the courses that, that we all have to go through is as soon as you're is selected as a uh, as a general officer. And again, to be sec- selected as a uh, as a as a breeder general is a you know tremendous honor, and it just doesn't happen to very many people. Uh, I mean, the rough numbers are in any year they'll consider about 1,800, 1,900 candidates, and they'll pick about forty one or forty two in the in the United wow. in the active duty for the United yeah. States Army. And so when that you get you know fortunate enough and lucky enough to be selected for that, then they run you through even more training, and it's really focused on how do you come to the enterprise and strategic level, and they bring in a, a significant number of mentors. They talk about all the issues you're going to be associated with. Sometimes they'll link you up with uh, with officers who can serve as your sort of unofficial mentor in order to do that. And so the Army invests a lot of energy and effort to get that right. It's uh, I think it's really impressive on how that works. And then in terms of uh, of individual mentors that uh, that I've had, I, I think if uh, if you took a look at the people that I have been fortunate to serve with from starting out as a lieutenant all the way up to now. I mean, I think it would be sort of a who's who of, uh, of leaders who have run the Department of Defense. And I mean, I think I've really benefited from, from mm-hmm. them. So, you know, as a, as a young officer, my, uh, you know, my, one of my battalion commanders was then Lieutenant Colonel Stan McChrystal with mm-hmm. close ever since. You know, in, a, in another unit, uh, I had uh, then Lieutenant Colonel, later General Votel, Joe, Joe Votel as a, as a battalion commander. As a company commander, I had then Colonel Lloyd Austin, who's now the Secretary of Defense, mm-hmm. my brigade commander, overseas in uh, in Afghanistan when I served the Joint Special Operations Command, served closely with you know General Tony Thomas, who commanded SOCOM, and then also Admiral uh, Admiral McRaven, you know who uh, mm-hmm. who is obviously you know very well known. You know, being here in the uh, in the 101st, I've had nothing but but great leaders as a brigade commander. My division commander was General uh, Jim, James McConville, who's now the chief of staff of the Army, and uh, and so you know all sorts of other. And then you know, so there's a lot of focus on the mentors that we have, but we've also developed over the years, you know, a series of friends who have been tremendously uh, impactful in terms of those friendships that you mm-hmm. have. And, and you know, people like you know General Drew Pappas and mm-hmm. uh, General Eric Carrilla and and, you know, other friends. I mean, you know, when I look at all the division commanders that we have across the Army and their 10 active duty uh, division commanders, I mean, these are all friends of mine that I've known since lieutenants and captains. And so there's this great camaraderie amongst all of us because we've known each other since we were junior officers making really boneheaded mistakes. <laughs> yeah, we're all sort of trying to struggle with issues, but we can do it with a degree of like comfort and familiarity, which is really nice. It's nice to have that um longevity in a relationship because you, you kind of give each other a little bit of grace and you have that to bounce, you know, it's okay making a mistake with somebody you have that kind of relationship with or um, sharing, hey, or getting advice from them and not feeling like you don't have to always have it all together. 
you know, that's exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And then sometimes like, you know, I'll be sitting there with junior officers and someone will say, Hey, that, you know, that comment that general officer made sort of didn't go the right way. And I say, okay, let me, let me tell you all the things that he has done or she has done for our nation. And, and, you know, so maybe he didn't express something perfectly or she made a little bit of a mistake here, but like contextualize that against decades worth of really meaningful service to the country. Like just take it in perspective. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah, I went to, um, Army War College a couple of years ago for that week, the civilian week, and we had a, a four-star um, general speak to us who was about to retire, and and I don't remember exactly what he said, but you know, one word can change the whole context of the conversation. And as we got in our seminar group, you know, there were some people who said, "Well, he didn't quite say that right," so you know, but they, but they, okay. but they worked through it mm-hmm. to figure out exactly what was was meant at the time. So I think it's important what you say there. Yeah, I mean, I just do want to say that nowhere in our general officer training program do they actually make us infallible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. <laughs> they do not, they do not make us. You, you mean you're human? You are human after <laughs> all. Occasionally, I, I yeah. try to remind people that uh-huh. general officers have mothers. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you've got a big job for sure. Yeah. For sure. Speaking of big job, let's talk about some of the things that are going to be happening at Fort Campbell. I know you mentioned the division coming home. Yeah, so it's uh, it's a really unique uh, time to be coming in as the the division commander here. And so, as I think everybody knows, the 101st Airborne Division Air Assault has been deployed nearly continuously for the last 20 years. Some of the first units to go into Afghanistan after 9-11 came from, uh, came from the 101st and, and really since then participated in the invasion of Iraq and then all the subsequent missions in both Afghanistan and Iraq. And even today, we've got a large portion of our sustainment brigade that's scattered throughout the entire Middle East doing mm-hmm. all those critical sustainment functions. We just had our, uh, our combat aviation brigade, all of our helicopters, just come back from being deployed for the last year effectively from Korea and, uh, and from Europe. But now for the first time, really in about 20 years, and I think about that, two decades, yeah. we've got the division that is going to be back here at Fort Campbell. And there are no plans right now for any significant deployments. And so that gives us a great opportunity to be able to come back together and start working on what it means to do larger operations yeah. as a division. And, uh, and as we've been working and deploying as brigades, so our subordinate elements within the division, for the first time, we're going to be back here. And I think that presents all sorts of opportunities to have uh, have everyone Everyone here really building that team and then really starting to focus not on the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, which we all know that we're starting to, uh, you know, remove our forces from there and really starting to focus on what it means to be ready for the future fight. Yeah. Do we know when that when there when the date is that everybody's going to be home yet? So by the end of the summer, we'll have everybody back. Yeah. So uh, right now, the we've got, you know, all the people back from the combat aviation brigade. We're waiting on some helicopters. And by the end of July, we'll have the entire sustainment brigade back here. I've missed seeing the helicopters. I think they turn around over my house. I think I think most people have been missing. And yeah. One of the things, and one of the things I hear fairly routinely from soldiers is like, I'm in the air assault division, mm-hmm. but I haven't flown in a helicopter. And I try to point out it's hard to fly on a helicopter in Fort Campbell if our helicopters are, are gone. Are mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. You just can't do it. But now they're yeah. going to be back. And so. And the good news is we're, we're getting more and more helicopters. Are getting more. As, as we're well. in our capacity to be able to. Yeah. As I think some of you know. 
know, we used to have two aviation brigades. That was what sort of made the division unique in terms of our ability to do aerosol mm-hmm. operations. And then they, as they sort of drew down a little bit, they shaped, they reshaped the force. We went down to one brigade, but now we're we're greatly increasing the size of that one brigade, so we can start doing more helicopter yeah. operations. It's it's pretty awesome to see. I love yeah, it. It is awesome. So as as we're thinking about the calendar in this year, we're in May, and on May twenty seventh, there's a big change of responsibility. Can you tell us a little bit about that? So on the 27th of May, we're going to do a transition between two fantastic uh, Army leaders uh, as we're going to go from our division command sergeant major, who today is uh, command sergeant major Brian Barker, a fantastic non-commissioned officer who has just done, you know, incredible work here as the division command sergeant major, someone who I've known and served with for about 20 years. And we're going to transition to command sergeant major Veronica Knapp, who's coming from Fort Bragg, where she was the uh, command sergeant major for the MP brigade there. And that'll be the first time in active duty United States Army unit has a female as a uh, as a division command sergeant major and so we're excited to bring her on the team and uh, and on all that she's going to bring to uh, you know a fresh perspective and new insight into all the issues associated with becoming trained discipline fit and cohesive within the within the yeah. division you know I've, I've heard a lot of good things about her and I, I look forward to meeting her well, and she's got to be a strong woman to accomplish the things she's accomplished so I want to meet I'm her sure mm-hmm yeah, no, I think she is. Uh, she's great. She's clearly, I mean, I, I hired her because she was by far the best candidate. Yeah. And I think really brought in a skill set that complements the rest of the team that we have here at, uh, at Fort Campbell in the 101st in terms of, uh, you know, her perspectives, her, her life experiences. I, I won't, I won't talk too much about it, but I think she'd be great for you to bring in. And I was just going to say, yeah. we need to interview her. And, and the importance of that job, that is a big job at Fort Campbell. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the, the, the division command sergeant major is both the division command sergeant mm-hmm. major and then the installation command sergeant major. And she is, you know, my representative or he, the division command sergeant major is the, our representative. And, uh, and you know, that, that command sergeant major is so critically important to go out there and affect change, drive, uh, drive, you know, make a positive difference in the daily life of, of soldiers. And what I always like to point out to people uh, who maybe haven't thought about it this way is when soldiers look at a division command sergeant major, they look at a brigade command sergeant major, they look at a, at a battalion command sergeant major. I mean, what the majority of our soldiers want to be when they grow up is that person, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Because the majority of our soldiers are enlisted. The majority of our soldiers don't want to grow up to be the commanding general of the, of the 101st, but a lot of them want to grow up someday and become a battalion command sergeant major, a brigade command sergeant major, or a division command sergeant major. And I think you know, having the right role models in those positions is really important. That's, that's, that's a good point. So last year, because of COVID, we didn't get to do a lot of celebrating, but we're going to do Week of the Eagles again, right? So the Week of the Eagles is going to happen this year, starting on the 21st of uh, June, and it's going to run that entire week. We've got a number of events, and we're really going to celebrate and highlight uh, two big things. Okay. So one of them is the 30th anniversary of Operation Desert Shield, Operation Desert Storm, the defense of Saudi Arabia from the Iraqis, and then the liberation of Kuwait, which mm-hmm. happened in uh, you know nineteen end of 1990 into 19, uh, 1991. I was a I was a brand new second lieutenant at the. It's hard to be, believe it's been that long. We talked about that earlier. Yeah, it's crazy. It's, it's making me feel old. Year, but we're going to see a significant number of, uh, of veterans returning from that conflict, and that's that's fantastic. And then we've also done something within the division. And it started with my predecessor, Major General Brian Winsky, and it's a great effort. Is we're reaching out to former soldiers from Vietnam 
who meet the qualifications based on their combat experiences to earn an honorary air assault badge. And so back then, mm-hmm. you know, they didn't have the air assault wings. You couldn't actually give them. But what we've done is we've reached out to a uh, to the, veter- the Vietnam Veterans Associations and let them know they can submit their uh, service records and we can vet them. And we've got a couple hundred that are going to be traveling back here for us to be able to pin on uh, their air assault, their honorary air assault wings to this great uh, wow. population. So it's really looking forward to it. So I recently got... Uh, this has nothing to do with this, but it's really cool. So I want to share it with you because I just thought, so my dad was at Vietnam. And my, he passed away 11 years ago. And recently my uncle found, you know, back then you would record on like a little MP3 player type thing. So my uncle found it. And of course it was brittle and old and this and that. And it is him recording a message to his parents as he's getting ready to ship off to Vietnam. And I sent it to an engineer in another market and he put it on a just digital for me so I could keep it. That's awesome. It was very interesting to hear my dad at 18 years old. You know what I mean? He he just, you know, hey, mom, dad, you know, I'm here getting ready to ship off. You know, they're feeding me good. Just, you know, things like that. It was really, it's kind of, it's nice to have. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. That that had to be a... Exciting and scary time. Well, I didn't him, know sure. that my dad had such a Yankee accent until I heard it, <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "Wow, <laughs> this guy." Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I thought I'd just share that with you. It was kind of cool to have. What what, uh, what division was he? I have no idea, and I need to find that out. I don't know. Service record. Yeah, I need to I need to get it find that out. So I don't really know. Well, Next time I see you, I'll know. All right. <laughs> well, there's a lot a lot more stuff going on in June. You've got a lot of leadership turnover. We do. Uh, uh, we have, I mean, so across the division and then even across the post, we've got a significant number of leadership chains out. So we've got 17 of the 30 battalions within the division that are going to change that. We've got three of the brigades with, mm-hmm. uh, I'm sorry, four of the brigades within the division uh, are, are going to change out. And then we've got the hospital commander is going to change out. The fifth group commander, the 160th commander, they're all, uh, they're all, they're all changing. Yeah. We've got a significant amount of, uh, of turnover coming here. I mean, it's okay. I mean, it's, uh, you know, we, gen- you know, when we start doing these, we're really moving from strength to strength. I'm working with the new battalion commanders who are coming in. They are a great group. And, you know, I think it's one of the strengths of the army is that we continue to cycle in fresh new leaders who maybe bring a new perspective, mm-hmm. make units strong, where maybe there were some uh, some gaps from, in coverage from the last commander. And it's sort of like someone expressed it like a tree that grows up with, uh, you know, a lot of different winds pushing different ways. It develops a stronger root system. Mm-hmm. And that's what happens when a new commander comes in with a fresh yeah. set of eyes and can really focus on improving mm-hmm. the unit. And so I think it's... Uh, we're going to be we're going to miss all those great leaders who are leaving but we're also really excited about the new leaders who are coming yeah it's it's always exciting i'm excited time. that you're all going to be here and that you're going to be here because a lot of times over the past few years people come in and you become friends with them you make the relationships and then they're shipping out or going here or there but we get to keep you here in clarksville pretty yeah, much this whole time yeah, that's that, going to be nice that's exactly i mean when i was here as battalion commander i was here for about nine months before yeah. i went away for 15 months and uh and then when i was here as brigade commander i was here for about 14 months before i went to afghanistan so mm-hmm. it's nice now look i mean who knows what the world situation is going to be the mm-hmm. 101st airborne division air assault is the you know the nation's contingency response yep. force right now and so what we're saying is we've got to have a fight tonight mentality and we've got to be ready whatever is going to happen. The world situation isn't any more secure now than it has been over the last 20 years. And so anything can happen. And, you know, what we're going to do is focus. What we say is we're on a countdown to combat. We just don't know when that countdown's going to, you know, sort of come Mm -hmm. And we're focusing on getting ready every single day and night to be ready for when that happens. So when everybody comes back, they'll get a little leave and then they'll get their gear ready and they'll just continuously train train. throughout the year. That's exactly right. And so we've got uh, some big training events coming up. We've got uh, in September our third brigade, the 
Rock Sons are going to be heading down the Joint Readiness Training Center, which, you know, is this sort of big culminating exercise for, yeah. uh, for our infantry brigade combat teams are going to be down there. And then the other units are at varying levels of, of, of building up to get ready to go do that later in, in next year. And Katie, if you ever get a chance to go down there and witness some of that, you should go because okay. it's, it's an incredible experience. I want my kids to witness it. I want my kids to see that because I think that's that, you know, when you're a teenager, you're oblivious to everything else. You need to realize that there's something bigger than you. Mm-hmm. So if you, you know, you know if you want your kids to witness this, there's a recruiting station I can point you right. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I told Aiden, I would not care as long as he gets his college degree. That's good advice. Mm-hmm. And then there's a path to do that. Mm-hmm. Path to do that. <laughs> as long as he goes in, he goes to college yeah. and goes in as an officer. Hey, look, we, we uh, you know, we were talking a little bit about West Point, but I'll tell you, you know, every year, so this is a little bit of my last job, but every year the Army commissions 7,500 lieutenants, 5,000 mm-hmm. come to active duty. And, you know, the reserve officer training core program that we have, you know, across all these colleges across the United States, that's a fantastic program. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, some of the very best officers we produce as an army come from there. And so it's not just about West Point. It's about the combination of all of them. They come from West Point. They come from Reserve Officer Training Corps. And then they come from uh, from OCS Officer Candidate School. And so uh, I think that's one of the strengths of our officer corps. We're not just all sort of cookie yep. cutters. We come from a whole bunch of different backgrounds and experiences. Yeah. Well, is there anything else that you want to tell our listeners before we close? I would just uh, I would just say that, uh, you know, it's an incredible honor to be back here. It's an honor to be serving as the division commander for the 101st Airborne Division uh, Air Assault. And, uh, and it's you know really a great responsibility to be back here as the installation commander at Fort Campbell. I mean, all of us are committed to strengthening the ties with the community. We're honored to be a, a you know, member here of the Clarksville community, the Hopkinsville community. Yeah. Both sides of the of the of the board, of the state border take uh, such great care of us, and mm-hmm. you know, really looking forward to you know all the great training that we're going to do. But we're going to be able to couple that with great links to the community, yep. and uh, really looking forward to it. Well, I know how valuable valuable your time is. Not that valuable. So I, you know, yeah. Charlie and our honored you took gave us a little bit of it today. Uh, absolutely, to come in, so. we we definitely appreciate you taking time to come in, and anytime we can spread the word about about Fort Campbell and what your guys and gals are doing out there, we we, we appreciate it. And we anytime you have something you want to share, let us know. Come on in. All right. Well, Katie, thank you very much. Charlie, it's great to be. Yes, sir. Great to see you guys. Thank you. Yes, sir. Thank you. Subscribe to Clarksville's Conversation wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss out on a single conversation.